The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for April 10th. This is Alex Wood, and I have a special co-host with us this week. Uh, Welcome, Drew Labo. Thanks, Alex. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And Rob, I hope you're having fun wherever you are at. Rob is on vacation this week, but he should be back next week. So Drew is filling in. Thanks for having me. Uh, You been up to anything interesting, Drew? Uh, Let's see. Busy consulting. I left Denver Health. I think you had mentioned that on previous podcasts. I've been consulting full-time since March 3rd, and it's crazy busy, which is a great problem to have. Other than that, uh, work hard, play hard. Nice. How about you? We are uh, Facebook friends, and I did see the other day that you were doing some work um, on the ski lift in Breckenridge, so that's always positive. I actually was. I was responding to emails, and I had a couple phone calls uh, on the ski lift, so I was working from the Breckenridge office. It's a, it's a nice way to work. Very nice. Uh, I've been keeping busy as well. Actually, um, was on a an RSA webcast last week that went really well, so that was exciting. Um, but other than that, things are going well. So nice. uh, let's get into it. So news for this week. Uh, the first thing we have, uh, there was an article in the Denver Post about uh, STEM job openings. So, you know, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. Of course, uh, IT and cybersecurity fits right in there with STEM. Um, and th- the gist of the article was that there are um, lots of STEM jobs out there that are unfilled. So in Colorado, there are approx- approximately 15 jobs for every person um, in the STEM field. Um, which is pretty incredible. Um, I think that, you know, beyond that, there were some other numbers for other states that were even more incredible. Um, but I, I think it just goes to show how how exciting and um, how happening, you know, IT and other technology uh, fields are. Yes. Um, geeking out a little bit on some of the numbers, I, I was noticing that nationally there's a $3 million, or $3 million number job shortage. Um, so we're... we're were less that many resources and North Dakota apparently has 87 ish um, jobs available per worker in this field. So if you like North Dakota, sounds like it's, it could be lucrative. It does not surprise me that uh, North Dakota is a little short on workers. Yes. <laughs> I, I had to visit up there one time for a, a previous job and it was, uh, while very beautiful in places, not someplace that I would probably like to live. Was it during the winter? It was uh, it was late fall. It was a little chilly. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Excellent. So um, this is pretty interesting. Normally, we we might not be too excited about a blog post. Um, however, uh, apparently WebRoot, they're a Colorado company. They've been having some potential spoofing. So people calling people, um, customers trying to say they're from WebRoot, but they're not really. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting that they wanted to warn people about this, uh, particularly with the meeting in Colorado. And um, I've, I think we all have to remember, let's be vigilant if we get unsolicited phone calls, especially security guys. Um, quick story, I had a CenturyLink guy called unsolicited to help me with my internet speed at home. Uh, I was very interested. I said, hey, I'm a paranoid security guy. I'm going to have to check this out. So I spent a long time vetting that. I made some phone calls. I found out it was legit and worked with the guy. And he, he was patient. He said, I understand why and I understand why you're doing this. He didn't get frustrated. Um, and I think, I think it's always worth vetting if you get an unsolicited call or just ignore it. Right. Yeah. Respond. You know, for me, if I answer the phone and there's any hesitation at all between when I answer and when the person on the other end responds, I immediately hang up. I, I know there's also some, uh, some scams going around where people are trying to record you 
saying certain words so that they can use that as proof, you know, quote proof that you, you know, bought services from them or other things like that. So um, I, I think it's it's good for all of us to be aware of it so that we can make the, the non-technically uh, literate folks that we know aware of it as well. Yes, and then um, I'm obviously excited about this topic. I actually have received multiple phone calls over the years from security companies or technology companies, and they'll, they'll say, hey, we're doing a survey. Um, what operating system do you use in your environment? What are you using for SIM? And I'll very quickly say, I don't take unsolicited calls. I don't know who you are. Uh, but it, it kind of boggles my mind. It's probably a marketing person that's not thinking about security. Right. But for a security company to be calling people unsolicited and asking details, they might want to think about that. For sure. Uh, next on the list, uh, there was an article from Axios uh, talking about the top startup hubs in the country. So, you know, I think we all think of... Um, you know, Silicon Valley obviously is the, the startup uh, area in the country. Um, I had heard for a while that Boulder was number two behind Silicon Valley. Um, but this is talking about, um, you know, sort of the top 10, you know, up and coming. So uh, Denver was number three on that list, which is pretty cool. Uh, Washington, D.C., Atlanta were in front of us. But then also some other cities like Salt Lake, uh, Portland, Dallas, Raleigh, Durham, and Worcester. Worcester, yeah, Mass. Yeah, I was, I was, you said it right. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but basically, you know, it's Boston, um, just yeah. outside of Boston. And yep. then Philadelphia was last on the list. But it, it is really cool to see that um, there's all these places that out there that, are, that have startup activity. Absolutely. And it's great Denver's on that list. Uh, and shout out to Salt Lake City, right? We're yep. just, real just close. Real you know, we've close. got a, a ton of startups here in, in Denver. Uh, you know, Ping, um, Red Canary, uh we interviewed uh, uh, Scott Chasen from ProtectWise, Cyber, all kinds of stuff just downtown. So it's not surprising to me that that startups are, are big in Denver. Yeah, and I also think about ThreadX, managed methods. It's really neat to see these companies taking off and, and getting funding and, and doing well. So who knew our little cow town, the big small town, was going to be such a hotbed? Exactly. Excellent. So next, uh, I want to recognize Logarithm. Um, they won the Best of 2016 award in the SIM category. Although when I read SIM, it actually should be SIM, but we all say SIM. Uh, <laughs> so um, congratulations to them. They're going to be honored in Orlando, Florida, uh, April 7th through 14th as they give those awards away. So uh, SANS, I respect SANS, so it's it's you know, good for them. I respect SANS a lot too. They have great training. Um, my only hesitation with this particular one, uh, well, first, full disclosure, you know, I, I am a logarithm customer, um, so I, I do think it's a great product. But, uh, you know, these awards came from essentially surveys of, you know, different folks associated with SANS. Um, you know, they're, they're touting the fact that these are people that actually use these kind of tools, which I think is great. You want to have people that, that know these tools to, to evaluate it. But if you're somebody that's working in an enterprise and um, you're a logarithm customer, you're probably not going to know how well the other tools in this category work because you're a logarithm customer. Um, granted, I think it sounds like all the people that use logarithm like it and, uh, Hence, voted to have them get the award, which is great for them. Um, but I'm always just a little suspect of that that sort of uh, survey data for things like this. Yeah, that's some good insight into how they do that. And on one hand, I suppose it's better than not winning that award. But right, I, exactly, I, I'm with you that yeah, it's if you're talking to everyone that's drinking the Kool Aid, what what else are they going to say? One thing I notice when I see what logarithms focusing on, what they say they focus on, it's a user and enterprise behavior analytics. So there was user analytics, right, UAB, and now I'm seeing this other term of really merging in what else you see on your network. So I think it's interesting to watch the space develop. 
Yeah, I think that that is really sort of the next step where all these submitters have to go. Um, you've got sort of a separate category of, of products that just do user analytics, which I think is great. But if I already have this product that I have in, in my enterprise, it's collecting a lot of the same data, well, why shouldn't it do that user behavior analytics as well? So I think the the, the SIM vendors that start to build this in, like Logarithm is doing, um, are really going to get a, a, a leg up on everybody else. Uh, so the next thing we had um, on the Optiv blog this week, they had a, a, a post about third-party risk management. Um, I think that third-party and vendors, it, it's a really big space. Um, you know, being in the financial services industry, um, I am regulated um, and have to manage third parties. You know, it's something that I have to do, but um, a lot of other people don't necessarily have that that same regulatory pressure. Um, that said, I think it really is one of the most important things that you can do. More and more, we're giving, um, we're either dependent on vendors for um, specific processes that um, our business needs to run, um, or we're giving lots of sensitive data to third-party vendors because they perform some business function for us. Um, so I, I think it's really important to make sure that that you are really looking at the risks that are associated with third parties. Um, th they offered a couple um, suggestions here, you know, just that you you know understand the principles around um, testing and third-party management, and then you know second, make sure that your third-party risk management program run, runs in sync with your overall risk program, which I think is is great. You know, these shouldn't be two separate things. Uh, third-party risk management should be a you know a subset of of the other risks that you look at, um, and then uh, the the third point was maintaining focus around these um, assessments, and they really gave three sub bullets to that. One is looking at risk assessment, of course. Um, the second is contracts, and I think contract is really really important when you're uh, dealing with third parties. You know, we have a a specific security addendum that we give to our third parties. Um, and we use that in most of our contracts unless they have some um, better language that they're already given us. And then the last one was around incident response, which I think this is probably the, the best point that I picked out of the whole article. Um, you know, I, I think incident response is you know obviously really important, but we don't often think about how it is we would do incident response if we have a third party that breaches our data. You know, we just went through a, an exercise um, uh, in my organization to test our incident response process. And of course, you know, the scenario we came up with was an internal breach of data. Um, I can't think of a time when I've gone through an exercise where I've said, oh, hey, a third party breaches our, um, or is breached and leaks our data. And, you know, what do we do about it? Yeah, the, these are great points. I, I really, if you think about this recommendation, it's around the life cycle of a vendor. So not just when you're kicking the tires, not just when you sign a contract, but while you're using it. And also when you decommission, uh, I've seen situations where when an, or, an organization has not thought about it, a contract is not clear. They decide, okay, we're done with the system, not renewing our contract, and can we get our data back? Um, if we have equipment with our sensitive data on it and they we have to give it back, can we get that data off before we send it back? And and a lot of those are situations are an unpleasant surprise if you don't think about it up front. Yeah, or something like a software as a service where, you know, hey, can I get assurance from you, some sort of proof that you have deleted my data from your systems? Um, you know, in the case of something physical, yeah, you might be able to get it back. That'd be awesome. But in the, something, the case where there's not something physical, how do you get the assurance that in their systems, um, they no longer have that sensitive data stored? Absolutely. And, and did they delete the data or did they remove it with a framework like NIST 800-88 uh, to get geek, geeky? I love quoting NIST. Um, I can quote almost all of them. But it, it's really if they just delete that data or format a, a drive, that data can is still there, right, until it's overwritten operationally. So... Um, you know, if you, if you pull a hard drive that's been formatted, you can get data off of it if you know what you're doing. So these are 
interesting points to think about. Exactly. Something you definitely have to have in your contracts about how to, to either delete or get that data back. All right. Uh, so that's the news that we have for this week. Uh, let's move into our events. So uh, the first thing that we have coming up um, on the 11th and 12th are this month's uh, ISSA Denver meetings. So, um, of course, uh, lunchtime on the 11th is Boulder. Uh, evening on the 11th is in Denver. And uh, lunchtime on the 12th uh, is in the Tech Center. And actually, uh, this month's Tech Center meeting is actually at my office. So um, if you're coming to the Tech Center meeting, I'll get to say hi to you. And thanks to Pulte for sponsoring. We appreciate that. Or for, <laughs> for, I should say for having the meeting. Yeah, for sure. We, we appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, this month we have uh, Jim McKinney from Optiv talking about how to hack a train safely. Um, it sounds like an interesting topic. Should be fun. Um, and then... Uh, Next, also on the 11th, uh, CSA has their April meeting. So uh, they are downtown on the 11th. Um, looks like they are talking about um, enabling lifecycle management and operational control across multi-cloud deployments. That's quite a mouthful. That is uh, quite a mouthful, but it is you know a very germane topic. You know how is it that um, if you are in multiple different clouds, you know say for infrastructure as a service, how do you manage all those and, and uh, maintain the life cycle of your applications through multiple clouds? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have felt that pain point in previous roles uh, where we have data in the cloud and it's all segmented, right? It's all it's all an exception for us. We have to we'd have to manage that pretty closely. So I'm pretty fascinated with this topic to how, how do you do that, you know, and bring that together. Should be good. Um, so next we have the Colorado Technology Association on April 12th. Um, this sounds like a neat topic, the quest for Colorado's next $1 billion exit. So they're going to be focusing on lessons from Silicon Valley, you know, startups getting funding. Uh, I hope they talk about what to do after you actually get the money. I've heard some horror stories from people. Yeah. You start to lose control. So uh, that should be a fascinating topic. It looks like it's by invitation only. However, I think if you get online and Google this um, CTA, um, Google this event, I think you can probably get in touch and get an invite. And I think even better, you could go to the colorado-security.com website and look at our event page, and there should be a link in uh, on the calendar for it there. That's the better place to look, yes. <laughs> uh, next, on the 13th, uh, at SecureSet, uh, we mentioned this last week, Chris Peterson, the CTO of Logarithm, is going to be talking on threat lifecycle management. Uh, that should be an interesting one um, if you want to get down to SecureSet. Uh, so those are all the ones that are happening in the, the next week. Uh, but some other... Uh, events of note that are coming up on the 19th. Um, the ISSA uh, Women in Security Special Interest Group is kicking off. We've talked about this a couple times. I think they're up um, around or over 100 people signed up for that event already. So I think that's really, really exciting. Um, if you are a woman in security or interested in getting more women in security, uh, I think you should definitely check into that and, and sign up. That is down at SecureSet and uh, it, it should be great. Uh, Sarah Avery of Logarithm is really help, helping to spearhead this. Um, I think that that's going to be a great group. Yeah, great traction. They're getting very quickly. So I, I, I think there's a need here in what they're doing, and I'm excited that they're doing it and, and that they're part of the ISSA Denver chapter. Um, along the note of special interest groups, uh, ISSA has started to stand up some special interest group meetings focusing on industry verticals. We've done two healthcare events. Um, smashing success exceeded our expectations. We really focus on security in the context of healthcare. So people around healthcare that work with healthcare or that want to learn more are attending these. Um, next, we stood up the financial meeting. We had that a couple months ago. Again, the turnout just blew us away. We had no idea there was this pent up demand for industry vertical type things. And then we're going to be standing up a government vertical. That's our next one. Um, we're we're doing we're in the process of doing that. 
stay tuned for more details, but that should be this summer. And then we will also, toward the end of the summer, have our next healthcare meeting. So um, if you're in these industries or want to learn more about them, uh, please join us. It's really neat because we talk about a lot of the business problems that we deal with and the resistance. So it's really neat. It's kind of different than just meeting a bunch of people that do security in general, right? People that are in your field, walk in your shoes and understand the kind of crap we put up with in each industry. Exactly. I have to say, I think that the uh, the financial services one was the best, but mostly that's because I was on a panel there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then one last plug under the events. Um, of course, uh, we have to put in our weekly plug for the Rocky Mountain Information Security Con- uh, Conference. Uh, that is, again, uh, May 9th through 11th. This is the last week of early bird pricing. So if you're going to sign up, you should do it now so you can get the cheapest rate. Um, also, if you are not a member of ISSA or ISACA, um, I would encourage you to join uh, prior to registering because uh, members do get a discount on the RMISC registration. So go ahead and, and get over and do that as soon as you can. Um, RMISC.org is the website. It's three days this year. It is three days. So we've got two full conference days and then one uh, pre-conference training day. It should be, should be awesome. And I, last year, I was surprised we had a gigantic auditorium full. It was at the keynotes. It was really impressive, so it's great to see that turnout. Bigger and bigger every year. All right, so let's move on to our jobs for the week. Uh, so first on the list this week, uh, Great West Life. Um, they have a security architect position open. Um, I know a, a few people over there, um, so I think that that would be a great place to work. Um, check that out. Yes, next we have Red Shield. They are a kiwi company, they say, so I think from New Zealand, I, I presume. <laughs> or maybe they like fruit. Or maybe they like kiwis. Uh, so they are they have junior and senior cloud security engineer positions open. They're really focused on website defense. And I like to see this. They have junior positions open. That's We talked about the shortage of professionals. To have a junior position kind of on-the-job training and get someone in, I, I think that's a great approach. So I'm really excited to see both junior and senior positions open. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so next, uh, Logarithm has an analytics co-pilot engineer job open in Boulder. So the the analytics co-pilot is a service that they offer. So if you have um, folks on your team that are inexperienced with Logarithm or you just need some extra help, um, essentially this is a, a more seasoned engineer um, that you, you know you can get time from that will essentially sit in the, quote, co-pilot seat you know, with your engineers to help them get better at, at using the tool. I think it's a, a really great program. And um, if you're a, a sim person... That uh, would be something to look into. Excellent. Next, we have Boeing, a cybersecurity assessment specialist. So this is really going to be focused in the satellite systems division. Um, this is interesting. It says TSSCI clearance or higher with SSBI investigation or higher clearance required. Uh, I don't know all, what exactly what all those acronyms mean, but it sounds impressive. Um, if you think about if you think about Boeing, you think about North Grumman. Um, those type of organizations are probably going to need, or I'm sorry, I think about Raytheon as well, right? Yep. You might need clearance. You might get clearance. Um, pretty fascinating. I always wanted to be a spy growing up. So that kind of excites <laughs> me when I hear about the clearance. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I think generally we leave the the jobs that require clearance off the list just because there are so many um, clearance jobs and so few people that are cleared yep. that usually um, there's a, those people get snatched up right away. Uh, but I thought that one looked really interesting. So put it on the list for this week. Uh, next, we have a vulnerability management consultant with GuidePoint. Um, so if you are someone that enjoys vulnerability management, uh, you want to be in a consulting role, uh, maybe do some travel, you know, work with different customers, um, this would be something to check out. Excellent. Next, we have the State of Colorado Governor's Office of Information Security Technology. 
Um, they have a senior IT security analyst position open. Um, I know Debbie Blythe really real, well, Trace Ridpath, Muhammad. I know a lot of people over there. Um, they have a great team. I'm actually also on the cybersecurity board for the state of Colorado. And uh, it's a really neat culture. Debbie actually stands up a committee to provide feedback on what's working in the security program, what's not working, what do they need to do better. They have out, they have internal and outside people um, coming in, and it's really neat to be part of that. Um, and Debbie's done great things. Uh, she's really run with it since she's been there. I know Jonathan Troll, she gives him credit for starting this off, um, and she's really taken it and grown it even from there. So I think that could be a really neat position. And it, they talk about compliance and audit management, risk and vulnerability management duties, and, and really being cross-functional and working with all the different types of business units and, and other technology departments. Awesome. Yeah, and I know Debbie is a listener, so hi, Debbie. Uh, here's your shout-out for the week. Um, next, we have a senior staff security analyst with Charles Schwab. Um, Charles Schwab, obviously, the building up a, a big presence down in the tech center. Uh, Jeremy Cooper-Levitt, a friend of ours, is, is down there at Charles Schwab. Great place to work, so you should check that one out. Next, we have Comcast, Security Incident Response Engineer. Uh, and working at a telecom can always be fascinating. To talk about a big shop, right? And, yeah, exactly. And, and keeping that, keeping everything available. So that could be pretty interesting. Yeah, there are actually a few Comcast jobs this week, so it looks like they're expanding their uh, security staff here. Uh, next, uh, Kaiser Permanente, uh, Director of Cyber Risk Defense. So um, being a, a former Kaiser employee, um, their Cyber Risk Defense Center or Security Operations Center, whatever you want to call it, um, is here in Colorado. So this is a, a director level role, uh, you know, working in that area. Um, I, I think that Kaiser is a really interesting environment to be in. So I think that that would be a, a fun job. Obviously, I know a lot of people over there um, and uh, I definitely would recommend it. And I'm, I'm impressed with how Kaiser has, and you know better than me, but how they've staffed up this risk function. And I think a lot of organizations miss that. It's all about toys, technology, uh, but to actually focus on risk with a big team like that, I think is pretty innovative. Did you find it that way when you were there? Yeah, you know, there was uh, a lot of really good people um, and a lot of uh, exciting stuff happening. So I think that you would not uh, not be bored going over to, to Kaiser for sure. Always something to do. Uh, so last but not least for this week, we have at CU Denver an instructor in information systems position open. So it could be interesting. Yeah, I actually, looking at the post, um, this could be on multiple topics, but one of the ones that they listed in there was cybersecurity. Um, so if you're somebody that um, likes teaching, you know, wants to teach uh, at the college level, um, I think this could be something that's really, really interesting. So uh, those are the jobs for this week. Um, thanks again, Drew, for, for being co-host with me, um, with Rob out of town. Um, I'm glad that you can come and fill in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you thinking of me and, and including me. And I, I really enjoying the podcast. It seems like they're taking off. So uh, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Uh, and as always, uh, check out uh, colorado-security.com um, for more information on the podcast, events, uh, organizations, everything else that's going on. And then uh, up next, we have our interview for this week. Um, Rob sat down, well, actually not physically sat down, but talked with uh, Cal Fussman, who was one of our keynotes at Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference this year. Um, Cal is a really interesting guy. Uh, he has had a, uh, a column, I believe, in Vanity Fair for a long time, essentially interviewing the most important and interesting people in the world. Um, so he has got a lot of insight that he has learned from these people, um, and I think that you'll be uh, interested to hear the interview. So again, thanks, Drew, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Uh, this is Michael Glenn. I'm Vice President of Security at Cable Labs. 
This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado Security Professionals, by Colorado Security Professionals. Well, this is Rob Reck. I'm here with Cal Fussman. Cal, uh, thanks a lot for joining me today. Hey, Rob. I'm really happy to be there, and I can't wait for May. Yeah. Yeah, we have you coming to, to do our opening keynote on the morning of Wednesday, May 10th, for the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Uh, Cal, the first time I heard you was, was during the, a Tim Ferriss podcast a, a ways back, and what I was struck by was um, the, the great breadth of experiences you've had in your, your time writing columns and, and basically just getting to know a lot of interesting people. Would you mind kind of giving the audience an idea of, of what you've done in your past and, and, and how you got to be the, the famous guy you are? <laughs> well, for the past 20 years or so, uh, I worked on a column for Esquire called What I've Learned, which is strictly wisdom in the words of people who have shaped the last 50, 75 years or so. Uh, it includes folks like Muhammad Ali, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, Robert De Niro, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson. Uh, the list goes on and on. There are about 400 people, and I would sit down with them for about an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes longer, and just get to ask them any question I want uh, in order to extract the wisdom that they've accumulated. So it's been a pretty amazing run, and oftentimes the interviews have been more than interviews. I got to know the people personally and got to become good friends with them, and I just learned an amazing amount about life just listening to these people. Yeah, so so my first question for you is how did you get such a fantastic job? That sounds like uh, it must be one of the most fun jobs out there. How did you get there? Well, that goes back to a single moment on a single day. In, and actually, I'll give you the exact day. It was uh, November 22nd, uh, 1963. And uh, back then, I was I had just turned seven years old. And I was sitting in my second grade classroom when the teacher, Miss Jaffe, got pulled away. And when she came back, she was whiter than a sheet. And everybody in the class just looked at her and knew something was up. And then she started speaking so calmly that it was almost scary. And that's when I found out that President Kennedy had been shot. And so everybody in the school was sent home, and when we got home, we all found out that the president had been killed. And later on in the day, it's all anybody was talking about. We were all glued to the television, and we found out that Lyndon Baines Johnson, the vice president, had been sworn in as president. And that night, my parents called me over to the kitchen table because this really was the first time I had ever... Uh, confronted de death in any way, and they didn't want me to be nervous or worried or lose sleep over it, so they sat me down and they said, look, Cal, this is happening before in our country's history. We want, we want you to know that the country has a system, and you've seen it at work. New presidents, now Lyndon B. Johnson, tomorrow morning when you get up, 
everything is going to be just like it was this morning. You're going to have your breakfast. You're going to go to school. We want you to get a good night's sleep and, and not worry about this. So they left the table, and I'm sitting at the table, and I'm just thinking, this guy, Lyndon B. Johnson, the new president, I'll bet you he always wanted to be president. And I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder how he feels because he's probably happy to be president, but how could he be happy becoming president after the assassination? Maybe he's sad to be president. Or maybe he's scared to be president because maybe he thinks they're going to try and kill him too. So I'm sitting at the table and I'm thinking, man, I wonder what this guy Lyndon B. Johnson's thinking. And I couldn't wrap my hands around it, so I picked up a piece of paper and a pencil, and I wrote, Dear President Johnson, how does it feel? And I filled out the letter with all of my thoughts, wondering what was going through his mind when he took the oath of office. And then I folded the letter in three and stuffed it in an envelope, addressed it, President Lyndon B. Johnson, the White House. Licked the stamp, which he still licked them back in those days, and put it in the top left-hand corner, put my address on it, and next morning I went to a mailbox and dropped the envelope in the mailbox. Two days later, I had completely forgotten about it. I was seven years old and didn't think anything of it until about five or six months later, it's May, and my mom comes breathlessly running up the steps to our apartment, and in her hand, she's got a letter. It's addressed to me as from the White House, from the president. And everybody's going crazy. The president of the United States is writing Cal a letter. And it was an amazing thing. It came from his uh, top executive assistant, uh, Juanita D. Roberts, and there were two very cool things about it. The first was that it wasn't written to a second grader, even though they obviously knew I was a second grader. Uh, you got the feeling that she read my letter and walked into the president's office and said, like, what do you want me to do with this? And so she wrote me back, like, with respect. And I knew that because the second sentence began, in answer to your query... And I said, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like I'm pretty important. <laughs> so the other thing was that there was a misspelling in it, which told everybody that, man, this is really authentic. Uh, this yeah. isn't a letter that's getting copied and sent out to everybody. So now the principal's inviting me to school to show everybody the letter, my mom and dad's parents, parents and their friends, everybody's coming to see the letter. And I learned in that moment the power of a question, that with a good question, uh, I could reach the most powerful person on earth. And that was sort of the start of a long journey uh, that took me first to newspapers where I was a, a columnist uh, for a while at, in St. Louis Post-Dispatch, very briefly, and then traveled around the world for 10 years without a home uh, and learned to interview people 
even when I couldn't speak their language. And that took me to Esquire magazine, where I took this skill of meeting people and getting them to trust me uh, into interviews with some of the most powerful, talented, and compelling people on earth. So that sort of got me to the place where I could sit down with Richard Branson or Woody Allen or George Clooney or T. Boone Pickens. Uh, and it all goes back to that moment. And what I, what I really take from that is the simplicity of just being able to quietly sit down and ask yourself a question that can push you out of your comfort zone or put you in a better place no matter what your job is. And in the last year or so, I've started speaking about this. And it's been an amazing experience because I didn't expect this to happen, but I was invited uh, on a cruise ship uh, filled with entrepreneurs. And it was also filled with big-time speakers and I went up to speak think, thinking that maybe 17 people on the on the boat would show up. But the person in charge had a pretty good idea. They advertised my speech along with happy hours, so there was free wine and also <laughs> tales of my meetings with Donald Trump and Mikhail Gorbachev and Muhammad Ali. So when I got there, there was a, like a packed house, and when I got done, there was a standing ovation and wow. a long line of people to see me afterward. And after that, people who were there started inviting me to speak, and then Tim Ferriss heard about me, and he invited me to come on his podcast, and then more people started to invite me to speak. And so now I find myself going as far off as South Africa or over to Facebook or General Motors and just talking about the power of basic questions uh, to change our lives for the better. And I can guarantee you that when I come to Colorado, I'll be able to tell some stories that will make the people who are sitting there laugh, maybe probably tear up at times, also want to take a few notes. Uh, and when they walk out, they'll be seeing their lives and their work a little differently. Hmm. That's fantastic. So, so Cal, you've have you obviously you're not a cybersecurity expert. Have you had any any experience, any thoughts? What makes you interested in talking to a group of security guys and gals, of course? Man, I need you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I'm just kind of getting into the whole internet revolution here, like 20 years late, and yeah. I, it. The interesting thing about it is that you could say, well, what what do you have to say to people who work on the Internet? And yet, because I'm, I look at it uh, almost as a blank slate and I don't assume anything, when I start to talk to people who work in the Internet, it always produces great conversations uh, because hmm. I'm not saying what – you're expecting to hear. Uh, my questions aren't the questions that you ex would expect to hear. 
there's there's something to be said for coming in with absolutely no idea. And you want I'll, t- I'll tell you a little story about that. Uh, because when I worked at Esquire, they liked to have a lot of fun with me uh, because this is sort of my the way I go about life. Uh, when I traveled around the world for 10 years without a home, every morning I woke up, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know who I was going to meet. And I didn't really have any money to stay in hotels. So basically I was counting on my conversations with people to – basically get get me invitations to their homes cuz i didn't i really didn't have enough money to put a roof over my head every night and people started to invite me in their homes and then they started to pass me around and that's how i got around the world passed from dinner table to dinner table to dinner table uh, and so i go with a a sense of a blank slate and i'm really interested to hear what people have to say and the conversations tend to be refreshing. And I, I'll tell you a little story because the Esquire knew that this was kind of my forte. So it was, uh, I don't know if you know the uh, actor Gerard Butler. He's, yeah. um, he was in the movie 300. Mm-hmm. So basically what the uh, editors at Esquire did is they promised Gerard a cover story. And then they called me up and said, Cal, we'd like to do a little story here. Uh, it's about a guy named Jerry. I said, oh, yeah, like, what's his last name? Oh, that doesn't matter. We, we're just going to give you his address and just go over and, you know, tell us what happens. Just take a few minutes. It, it'll, it'll be, a, you know, a little story. And so I'm thinking, I'm, I don't know what's going to come of this. I, I drive over to the address they give me, and it's a, it's a beautiful house. I say, wow, this guy must be pretty important, this cherry. And I have no idea who he is. So I go, I knock on the door, and Jerry comes out. Now Jerry is expecting me to be the writer from Esquire magazine who knows his entire history, and I have no idea who he is. And... It was a very like funny exchange because he like couldn't believe that I didn't know who he was, and so you thought you were bluffing the whole time. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, he's thinking. And, and the, here's the thing: I didn't even know like he was an actor. It took me like twenty minutes because I started asking like, "Well, where are you from?" And he you know, starts telling me about Scotland, and we're going along. And it's only like 20 minutes in that he mentioned he's an actor. And as he's saying, and he's saying, oh, man, I can't believe you don't know that, like, I'm being set up here. <laughs> this is just ridiculous. But he, like, he's going along with it. And the funny thing about it is, after maybe an hour or so, I, I said, you know, do you, you got a restroom around here? He says, sure. Use my restroom is in, in my, right next uh, to my bedroom. And so he starts walking me over there. And as, uh, as on the way, we pass on the bedstand, nightstand, a issue of Esquire. It had Megan Fox, the actress, on the cover. And he says to me, can you believe it? Like, 
You get Megan Fox on the cover. Why would they want me? And then I said, oh, my God, I'm writing a cover story about this guy. I had no idea. (laughs) So the best thing about this, in this issue with Megan Fox on the cover, they have the 75 movies that every man should see. And so later on, when we start talking again, I say, okay, Jerry, like, what, what movies have you been in? And now he's really like, like I know, I know this is a setup. And he says, "Well, like, of course you've heard of 300." And I said, "No, like, I never, I never. Oh, oh, hold it! I never saw it, but I remember passing a movie theater, and there was this poster. There was this kind of gladiator with a beard, and he says, "That was me." <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, so, I, so he says, "Look." Everybody knows that that's one of the top 75 movies a man should see. I guarantee it's in that magazine. So we get out the Esquire, and he's going to the first page. He's, oh, these are pretty good movies. He gets the second page. Third. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Or yeah, this, if you want to curse, you may curse. <laughs> well, I'm just, he's, turning, he's turning the pages, and he gets to page two when the movie's not there. He gets to page three. Fuck! Page four. Fuck! Page five, fuckers! <laughs> he gets to the end, and now he's screaming because he's not only did the writer not know who he was, but this iconic movie is not listed. And then I said, "Well, all right, Jerry, what else are you in?" And he says, "Phantom of the Opera." And I said, "You weren't in Phantom of the Opera. You can't sing." <laughs> and the, at the very end. It, it was it was really comical because he's like trying to prove to me he he was who he is, and at the very end I'm leaving, and I don't know if he thought that he really had proved who he is to me, and so I'm like as I'm walking out the door, he's got this like stereo system through his house, and all of a sudden the music just starts blaring at high volume. And it was music from Phantom of the Opera. And he comes down the steps and he starts singing along to his own voice (laughs) to prove to me he was Gerard Butler. So my my point on all this is I, I am not coming here as a security expert, although, hey, man, I walked the rubble of 911 uh, like two or three days after so I understand the importance of what you all do. Make no mistake about that. You know, I sat with Mayor Giuliani shortly afterward for a cover story for Esquire. So it's not like I'm coming in here and don't understand your importance, uh, but I'm coming in sort of like a fresh breath of air. It's almost if you want if you if you would think of hearing music for the first time that you really like, that's kind of what I'm hoping to be. Uh, Maybe people have no idea who I am and they're going to sit down and then all of a sudden they're going to start to hear stories that are going to make them open their eyes or laugh or cry. Uh, I tell a story about spending a week with Muhammad Ali. And at the end, you walk away, I hope, with just some thoughts on taking your own questions 
and using them to solve dilemmas in your own lives. Yeah, I love your, your, the fundamental of what you're saying is you have to be asking the right questions, right? I think that's you're going you're to help us ask those questions. Um, looking forward to that. Yeah, so I mean, can, that's, that's the thing. Do? You don't need to be a, a like have a, a detailed knowledge of of a subject, and in order to get to the right question, you need to know yeah. how to get to the right question. And yeah. so that's that's where where I can help. It's sort of like Einstein said: if I had to solve a problem, and I only had ten minutes to do it. I'd spend the first nine minutes thinking of the right question, then the last minute to come up with the answer. So that's how I'm coming at this. That's great. So what can I, what can our listeners do? You know, I, I know I'm really excited. What can I do to be prepared for uh, for your talk in in, in May? Um, is there is there anything we can do showing up? In, you know, certain mindset. How, how do you want us to show up there to your to your keynote Wednesday morning? Best preparation is probably no preparation at all. Just come with an open mind. But mm-hmm. and so it's it's not preparing for me. Uh, but if there are certain questions that you have in your own lives, in your own business, that would be good to come be, uh, come with. Because uh, after I speak, we'll we'll do a question and answer, and I. I really find that the, the Q&As bring out uh, an amazing benefit because I'm able to use stories that I've heard, wisdom that I've accrued uh, from these remarkable people to, to answer personal questions. And I, oftentimes, like, I find the question and answer session uh, – equally if not more fascinating than than the keynote and certainly for me I'm learning a lot uh, through the questions that come asked at, at me and I, I really am very in, interested to, to get a glimpse of you know the questions that people in the field of security have yeah. so uh, coming with questions is the best preparation uh, outside of that, just come ready to have a good time. Sounds fantastic. Well, Cal, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Do you have anything final you want to you want to leave us with this afternoon? Well, I imagine that May 10th in the Rocky Mountains is going to be a gorgeous day. Uh, that, that absolutely, it, sh- it sure should be. May's May's a pretty good month to be out here. So. I can't I, – I'm really looking forward to, to coming out, blue skies, mountains, and meeting some interesting people with good questions because what I've learned is – and this is taking – this speaking is now taking me all over the world. I, I, I meet people, and then we stay in touch, and mm-hmm. conversations keep going. So – I'm really looking forward to pushing pushing this as far as it possibly goes. This is not sit down and listen and walk away. Let's let's build something here. All right, Cal. Uh, once again, thank you so much for your time, and we'll look forward to seeing you in May.
All right, Rob. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.